Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshra Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Today we're going to, I think, talk about a very interesting subject here, um, namely the mind. You know, I think oftentimes when we think of our spiritual evolution, you know, we think of what? Awakening to the transcendent, looking inward, and awakening to that deepest level uh, of our being, you know, the Atma, the transcendental level. Uh, And that's all true. But I think we uh, see at some point, even after there's a, even a full awakening to that level, Brahmi Chaitana, for example, Brahmi Chaitana, uh, <clears throat> there's still, the, you know, the mind to contend with. And the mind, you know, they say in India, the mind is like a monkey, you know, jump, jumping from limb to limb, tree to tree. And uh, so much of our evolution uh, is a function of our thoughts, of our mind. And uh, at some point, after we fully awaken to the transcendental self, even Brahman consciousness, where you're one with everything, the mind is still oftentimes a contender, you know. Now, a lot of that depends on uh, our upbringing. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned in the past, I've met some people from, uh, I guess they're from a village or small town in South India. And uh, it's just humbling to talk with them because just the way that they were brought up, the way they cultured their mind was uh, exquisite, humbling, you know. Uh, but most of us, you know, aren't in that category, you know, the way we think, the way we talk, the, the way we function. Um, it's not really all that much, you know, in harmony with nature, is it? Uh, uh, <clears throat> so so the question then, because the next step in our evolution after Brahmi Chaitan, after enlightenment, the next step, the thing that, you know, leads, you know, well, at least points in direction, moves in, in the... Uh, uh, you know, direction of uh, uh, Chiranjivi, uh, you know, immortality, you know. Uh, it's really re- refinement of the mind, culturing of the mind, so that, that, that our mind, our thoughts work in harmony with nature. And uh, that's a big step. It's a very challenging step. Uh, now, in the Brahma Sutras, there's that one Brahma Sutra. I think I've gone over it in a past uh, podcast, where it says that you know Dharma, you know, right action that would include speech and everything, you know, alignment with natural law uh, comes from within the absolute, and and that's true, you know, if that wells up through and permeates the mind and everything, um, it, it's valid, and that's an effortless way of doing it. Effortless in the sense that, you know, you're not trying to control your thoughts or deal with your thoughts in any sort of a overt way. And so the word actually control, uh, as in uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, you know, uh, is very relevant there. Because what does it mean to control the mind? 
usually when we think of the word control, I think we think of, you know, hands-on, aggressive, forceful even, or effort, requiring effort. And that's the typical uh, way we think of controlling the mind. Try to control your thoughts like that. Uh, Try to think positive thoughts, try not to be negative, so on and so forth. And that's, that's all valid. That will help culture the mind as long as it's not overdone. If, I mean, if you try to practice everything in the Shastras, you know, all the rules of conduct and all of that, you don't end up enlightened. You end up going crazy. You know, it's just uh, too much to try to impose all that, particularly if we judge ourselves when we fail at it. Uh, uh, so you see, we can approach this refinement of the mind from two different ways from uh, the depth of being and having the dharmic tendency well up through the physiology or from working with the mind on the surface. And even though the notion of control there is very different from the transcendental transcendental level welling up, it's like an effortless control. Uh, uh, Whereas uh, from the surface value, you know, it is is effort and it takes um, a lot of will and strength and... um, uh, effort to, to to be able to control the mind. So so, where are we left with this? Um, there was a nice quote that I heard um, uh, about you know from the surface level how to control the mind, and it's quite simply they just said um, this was a saint in India. He said. Uh, don't do what you know is wrong. Yeah, it's simple enough, you know. If you know it's wrong, just don't do it. That's hard enough, you know. Um, I think people every day on a daily basis, we do things, and we know they're really not right, they're wrong, you know, but we just can't help ourselves, you know. Uh, that extra piece of chocolate, for example, or you know, a negative thought or what have you. Uh, but then in a more subtle arena, someone asked... Um, Well, I don't always know, you know, uh, it, it, what's the right way to go? What's right and what's wrong there? And uh, the response came back, um, don't do what you know is wrong. And if you even think it might be wrong, don't do it. Now, even that's a problem, isn't it? Because uh we don't know anyway, and I mean, we, anything we could think might be wrong, and so you're left with nothing. You can't do anything. So there, there's a there's a um, rule of thumb. There is just do your best. You know, uh, do your best to to uh, not do what you know is wrong. And do your best to discern as best you can. And if you feel something uh, might be wrong, uh, just do your best to to deal with it. Uh, And see, that's that's the thing is um, so much, particularly in in the West, you know, we want to know, how do I know? And uh, the, the, the honest answer to that is you don't know. You just have to feel and you feel your way. Uh, so 
there was a line in the, uh, here it is, in the uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutras. I'm reading the Patanjali Yoga Sutras right now. Uh, I like to read them in Sanskrit. And then, you know, study the translation and that the meaning. And then just listen, because you see, it listening to the sounds of uh, the Vedic cognitions is actually better in a lot of ways than trying to figure out the meaning. Because what, what the uh, sounds are, what the Vedic sounds are, somebody asked me, because uh, they know I like to read in Sanskrit and, and that, and I'm not great at it, but I'm okay. But... Uh, they said, what do you like about Sanskrit? What do you get out of it? How does it help you? And it's interesting because even with that question, it made me think about what, what is it that I like about it so much? And here's the thing. The letters of the Sanskrit alphabet and the words, uh, and the words in the Vedic chant, what, what are those? Well, every uh, letter, every sound, the letters are like the building blocks that come right out of the absolute. Uh, they're, they're called shruti. You know, they're the manifestation of the impulses from within the absolute right as they emerge to the point values. And they, and they construct then like essentially 48 <coughs> uh, letters. And so there's some debate about how many letters, 46, 48, whatever. But uh, uh those letters are like the fundamental building blocks that structure all of existence. It's like, you know, if you have a bunch of little toy building blocks, you can build a castle or you could build a house or a cabin or a car or whatever. You know, children might build out of uh, building blocks. But like that, when we talk about Sanskrit, those sounds are the fundamental building blocks. It's all built out of the sounds. And they're the fundamental building blocks out of which all of creation is, is structured. And when you when I read um, Sanskrit, or, and, and then particularly when I just listen to it and feel into it, you know, you close your eyes and just let it kind of flow through you in that way and just feel into it on the deepest level that is natural for you to feel. On the deepest level, you can feel it. You're feeling into the finest fabric of relative existence, and it's exquisite. Uh, and then it, see, then it cultures and enlivens that value within you. Uh, uh, and certainly that wells up through the different levels of your being. And so it actually influences the mind. It has a culturing effect on the mind. So the mind starts to function more and more in harmony with natural law. And that's what I really like about it. I mean, it's fascinating, first of all, how the Sanskrit language is structured and then they combine consonants that create conjunct consonants, which don't look like either one of the letters themselves, but they're kind of a permutation of a combination of the two or even three or more. Uh, and just even looking at it, hearing it, yeah, and looking at it, uh, it touches that level. It's just an exquisite thing uh, to do. So in the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, uh, it's one, three, three. It's in relationships. 
the mind becomes purified by cultivating feelings of friendliness towards those who are happy, compassion for those who are suffering, goodwill towards those who are virtuous. And this is this is the one that really impacted me. And you'll see if you go to you know michaelmoms.net and look at the podcast, I have this in the notes so you can read it on your own time too. But it says, and indifference or neutrality, and I put in equanimity, uh, towards those we perceive as wicked or evil, and then I put in uh, brackets again, negative, the rakshasa values. And to me, that was huge as far as how my mind even works. Because when people are nasty, negative, even wicked, you know, what we would call that rakshasa value, you know, uh, my natural tendency is aversion uh, uh, or even judgment. Uh, but what a, almost what a relief. See, because yin creates yang. If you confront it, it just makes it stronger, you know, kind of like the tar baby. If you know that, uh, I think it's a old cartoon, you know, uh, or Br'er Rabbit. If he tried to, there's a tar baby in, in the uh, uh, weed patch or whatever it was. And uh, if you try to punch the tar baby and he'd stick to it. And the more he fought it, the more he got stuck entangled with it and it's like that you know that's why you know stay out of the weeds you know and uh uh and that's the way to do it right you know uh indifference neutrality equanimity towards those we perceive as negative is how i read that I, I put the word negative in instead of wicked or evil, but, you know. And it's almost it's almost freeing, you know. It is freeing because you're not stuck with the tar baby. But isn't that not the way, particularly in the world today, that we're trained to think? We're trained to confront the negative, that which we perceive as evil or wrong, to, to fight it. To punch the tar baby, you know. Uh, so that's that's something I'm working on personally, you know. Cultivating the mind. It's a challenge, you know. Another thing I do, there's a really nice, if you go on YouTube and type in uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutras, you'll find there's this one part there where a, a, a man is chanting the whole Patanjali Yoga Sutras beginning to end. And it's beautiful. They do you know, have some kind of uh, music or whatever playing in the background. And they do that in a lot of Vedic chants. I wish they wouldn't uh, because, you know, we, sh we should be with the words and with the sounds of the chanting. And the music just takes us away. Maybe it takes us to a beautiful place, but it's not Vedic cognition. You know, it's, it's not part of it, you know. So it's almost, in that sense, a distraction, you know. But... Uh, I like to do that, and it has the Sanskrit, and then it has the, uh, I think, transliteration, and it has the meaning, uh, and it just scrolls through all, all the Yoga Sutras one after another, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. 
I do other things, you know, I read the Brahma Sutras and, and like that. But this is something new that I, I just started doing with the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, you know. Um, yeah, this is another good point. I'm looking at my notes here. Vedic knowledge is so vast, it's infinite. And nobody knows it all. You're not going to know it all. And so the, even the Vedic pundits, you know, they don't know all four Vedas. They each, you know, have their own uh, part of the Veda, Sama Veda pundit, uh, Rig Veda pundit, what have you. Uh, but the key then is to focus on those aspects of the Vedic knowledge that will facilitate your evolution most rapidly. And what does that mean? Where do we evolve to? We evolve to that point where, where we are awake to that one thing that is the source of all things. Knowing that one thing, you know the source of everything. You know everything in its seed form, you see? And uh, so that's the part of the Veda really to focus on. And that can differ for different people. Some people might be musicians, and so they focus more on Gandharva Veda, you know, music that's in harmony with nature or, or uh, uh, any branch, architecture, Stapativade, you know, any branch. Um, and so you find the aspect that just resonates with your own being, that field of knowledge, and, and, and work with that. Uh, but fundamental to all of those things is proper meditation. If you're not doing that meditation, I, unless you're doing TM, I would recommend you to go to uh, my YouTube page. Just go to YouTube, type in Michael Mamas. You'll go to my YouTube channel and the first couple of, of uh, posts there, how to meditate, and it's free, you know, and I'd encourage you to do that. That's your biggest engine. Uh, 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 going back to the mind, though, you know, let's say the transcendent is welling up through. Let's say you are evolving towards Brahmi Chaitana, but let's say your mind have perspectives, you know, and you hold on to those perspectives. Well, that's kind of like putting the cap on the whole thing. And so working with our mind, evolving our mind in uh, 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 the storehouse of impressions, Maharishi Patanjali talks about that. There are impressions that create really the subconscious mind. And those impressions, even though we're not aware of them, they dictate, they determine how our conscious mind functions. And that, uh, those impressions, it's called the chitta, the storehouse of impressions. So as we evolve, the chitta softens. Everything softens. Our white knuckle clinging to our perspective and our mind and how we think and what we think and what we feel, doggone it, you know, uh, all that softens. Uh, and, and then the mind becomes more open to our own inner deeper knowledge, uh, the truth that lies deep within us, Okay. And there it is right there. That's the key to evolution, you know. For me, Sanskrit was is fundamental. I, you know, uh, and certainly listening to Vedic chants, uh, even if you don't know Sanskrit, just listening to Vedic chants is very evolutionary. The Vedic sounds are more important than their meaning, okay? Uh, let's see. There's so many good points here. I, I didn't want to miss any of them. Yeah, when you read those things about 
you know, that uh, 133 from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, you can do that with respect to your relationship with your own self as well. What's your relationship with your own negativity? You can either get engrossed in it and identify with it, or you could judge yourself for it. Uh, and so what's the best attitude towards it? Again, indifference, neutrality, equanimity. Uh, it's freeing, you know? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, see, in Brahmi Chaitanya, we, even once you're enlightened, you're still living in a house of mud. And that includes, you know, the mind until we purify it and uh, get it functioning more in harmony with our own true divine nature. You know, a lot of people think their nature is, oh, well, this is just my nature. Uh, a lot of what you might think is your nature is really your stuff. You know, it's your issues. It's those qualities to the mind that that uh, need to come under control. And keep in mind, two levels of meaning of the word control. Uh, effortless control or don't do what you know is wrong. And, you know, um, okay, one last thought, and that is that, you know, people wonder about reincarnation a lot. And just one thing I wanted to say about reincarnation is that Before enlightenment comes, we reincarnate because our karma is pulling us back in. This is the world of karma, you know. And so we reincarnate back in to work through our karma, to evolve past our karma, to heal our karma, you know, pay our karmic debt. It would be a way of putting it, though. That's not a way I like to put it, but it's okay. Uh, but after enlightenment, we reincarnate because we have a purpose. We have a reason to reincarnate. We don't have to reincarnate. We don't have to come back to this world of karma. But we do because we have a purpose. And usually, if not always, that purpose is somehow to, well, we could say it this way, it's to facilitate the evolution of others, to help the world, really. Okay. That covers the points I wanted to cover uh, today. Uh, I think there's a lot there really to think about and to work with. And you can go to uh, michaelmamas.net and you can read the blog uh, and review it because I think there are a lot of points there that uh, are worth reading. So thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk with you again next week on uh, Ancient Secrets Revealed. <laughs>